Welcome to Becoming Legendary, a podcast where we talk with rad people from all over the planet about their journeys towards becoming legends. This week we had the true honor of speaking with Dr. Daniel Stickler, who's the chief medical director at the Neurohacker Collective as well as the Perion Institute, where he brings decades of forward-thinking medical knowledge in wellness optimization and whole system science into his approach to helping humans achieve their fullest potential. We chat about a vast array of biohacking and wellness-improving topics, from vibe plates to experimental research chemicals. Buckle up, get your notepad ready, because we're about to drop some serious science on you. There are no gold medals for down dog. Maximize every opportunity so that you can become you. legendary. Become. Legendary. What adjustments can you make right now to make yourself 1% better? Your only better? goal is to be the best version of you. I always start with this. What does the day, a typical day in your life look like? <laughs> uh, yeah, I usually get up around 5, 5.30, somewhere around there. Um, I'll jump on the computer, usually get on the vibration plate for for about 15 minutes, um, make the coffee, drink the coffee, uh, depending on the day, uh, like if it's a gym day, then I'll go for a three or four mile walk along the river. And, uh, if it's not, then I usually go for my run early yeah. on, uh, get back, uh, will frequently sit and do my muse meditation, usually three or four days a week. And, uh, then hit it, hit it with the work, uh, website work, uh, development work for the business. Uh, client calls two days a week and, uh, then around noon, that's usually my workout time. Uh, I'll either go to the climbing gym, uh, or go to the, uh, the gym and do some weights and come back, do a little bit more work. Um, and then I usually try to finish up early, although as an entrepreneur, you know, the work is never done. And, uh, so it's always there, uh, but you know, get out and socialize. You know, I've got a, I've got a nice little office setting here. You can see my, my view. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty good setup. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, you know, living in downtown Austin, uh, has its perks for sure. So one of the things I noticed right out of the gate, there's a, there's an awful lot of physical movement to your day. Yeah. How, Absolutely. how has physical movement always been a part of your life? Uh, it has. I mean, when I was, a when I was in medical school, surgical residency, and then, uh, first couple of years as a surgeon, you know, I always had movement as part of my life. Uh, I was always exercising in some regard and I was able to maintain health, uh, during that, uh, high stress, uh, poor sleep yeah. and poor nutrition at that time. It was not a priority for me. I mean, uh, pizza every day and uh six pack of Mountain Dew at least every day. Um, wow. And it wasn't until I was in my late thirties that I, I realized that despite my, my external appearance of not being overweight or anything, uh, I was physically destroying myself and, and exercise. Like I said, it was a big part of my life at that point and it masked a lot of what was going on. Yeah. And, got my telomeres tested and realized I was 10 years older than my true biologic or my chronologic age biologically said something's got to change here. So, so that uh, was really your indicator though. Your indicator was your telomere test. Well, you know, it, that's the thing. You know, I'm a huge fan of biometrics yep. and 
you know, if you if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And we we fool ourselves a lot of the times into thinking that we're doing everything right. And biometrics will wake us up many <laughs> yeah. times. And and that was one of the biometrics that uh, that hit me in the face pretty hard. Yeah, that's a hard one, hard one to, to avoid. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that the other thing that really pops out to me because we're um, we're such fans of vibration plates is that your vibration plate use every day. How did how did you start using vibration plates? You know, a lot of people had talked to us about it, and my wife um, my wife is military. She's she she and I own the Apparel Corporation together, and she's she's the CEO, but she also has a second life of being a uh, human performance expert in the Air Force. Uh, she's in the, she's currently in the Air Force uh, Reserves right now. She teaches a lot at, uh, at SOCOM uh, Special Forces, and um, she was at an event, and they were talking about the, a lot of the science behind the vibration plates. And, we, you know, we, we were into the, in thinking, you know, it sounds good and everything, but we didn't really have the science behind it, and I didn't actually look into it. Yeah. Um, but because those guys were doing it and they're, and you know, they're, they're into all these experimental things. And I was like, well, let's, let's take a look at the data. So they actually sent us over the data and we're like, okay, we got to get a vibration plate. Uh, <laughs> you know, this, this has some, some good validity behind it. Was there anything specifically in the research that stood out to you as beneficial? Um, uh, you know, I can't recall it exactly right now it's because it's been so long ago, but, uh, the the thing for me was the research allows me to look into things. Yeah. But it's the the biometric data that I get after using it and the personal experience of using it yeah. that gets me to use it ongoing. Yeah. So the the big thing for me is that I saw um you know my stress levels and you know I got my Phoenix five here that I wear all the time and you know, my stress levels drop after being on there. And, um, and it also wakes me up in the morning. You know, I've, I've always been really energetic in the morning, but you know, it's always after my coffee and now <laughs> I get the coffee started and jump on the plate and, uh, I'm like ready to go right then. Yeah. Uh, it, it really, you know, I noticed, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot better recovery from workouts. Yeah. When I started doing it, uh, did not have the, the delayed onset muscle soreness the way I used to. So for me, it was just more of the research guides me into saying, yes, I need to look at this. And my experience with it and my biometric monitoring tells me, yes, it's something that's working for me. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, personal experience, personal experience really does tell the story, right? Like if we, if we all look at it, we're all really an N of one. And, right. and no matter what the, no matter what the mass, the mass quantity of data might say, if something doesn't work for us individually, it, it doesn't really matter to us. <laughs> so, well, and that's, that's a, a big point there. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because, uh, the bio individualized aspect of everything. I mean, it doesn't matter what the research says. Research is based on population wide studies yeah. and we have such variance within that population that just because it works for 80% of the people, what about the 20% it doesn't work for or has a negative impact on, you know, you see this all the time in diets. I mean, everybody thinks there's a perfect human diet yeah. and they're like, Oh, you got to do ketogenic ketogenics way to go. I feel great on it and everything like that. And you know, so everybody tries to jump on the bandwagon thinking that, 
you know, well, if it works for them, it's going to work for me. And, and it doesn't work that way. Everybody is individualized. And that's why I can't emphasize enough. Every one of my clients is wearing one of these. Cool. And I am, I am monitoring them ongoing throughout the month. Uh, every month we get on a monthly call and I'm going, okay, show me your sleep data. Show me your stress data. You know, I'm looking at all of this data and saying, okay, is this correlating with what you're telling me or not? Uh, because we, we just convince ourselves so often that, oh yeah, I'm an, I'm a night owl because, you know, I like to play my, my Fortnite at night or something like that. But, you know, in reality, you're genetically uh, a circadian propensity for being a morning person and you need to start adjusting to that. And you look at biometric data and sure enough, you're going to see a big disruption in your biometrics. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. So you mentioned, you mentioned Aperion and, and you're the co-founder of, of the Aperion Medical Center. And you uh-huh. guys are really, you're, to me, you're, you're redefining this paradigm around medicine. You, you describe it as using a system-based precision lifestyle approach. Right. What's the biggest difference between what you're doing and what most practitioners around the world are doing with their patients. Well, most of medicine, see, medicine it started off with a premise, um, you know, even back in the time of Hippocrates and, you know, these early founders of, of modern, what we call modern medicine, uh, disease wasn't really an item to them. Um, it was, you know, what is health? And health was about your nutrition, about your movement, about your family relationship. It was about your job satisfaction. Um, and we just, we completely got away from that and, and we fell into this disease model. So I first recognized that when I, I went to a classmate of mine for my yearly exam and, and he went over everything and he goes, everything looks good. Why are you here? And I said, you know, uh, check up. Yeah. And he goes, no, really, why are you here? Like I had to be sick or had to have something going on or, you know, some preventative care needed to be initiated that was necessary. And I was like, okay, there's something wrong with this. This, this isn't the way medicine is supposed to be. So, you know, typically when we work with clients, we work with, we have three stages. We have the first step is homeostasis. So we look at all aspects of lifestyle, sleep, stress, nutrition, movement, supplementation, hormones, um, cognitive function and we have a baseline that you have to get to okay everything has to be there you can't have three of them up here and then the other three down here you've got to get them all to that homeostasis state once we get there then we can look at getting into an optimized state where we can do lifestyle factors supplementation nutrition to bring things into a more um, optimized state at that point but then the fun begins when we can get into the enhanced state. That's when we're in optimized. Then we start talking about, okay, how do we enhance cognition? How do we enhance physical performance? Things that are beyond just the lifestyle aspects. And you just don't see that conversation happening in medicine right now. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, it's interesting. The things that you, the things that you spoke about, the, the sleep, the nutrition, work happiness, stress responses. I mean, those are conversations that literally never happen in in a doctor's office. Um, from my experience. Well, I mean, you, you get on average five to seven minutes of FaceTime a year. And so it's, it's not the doctor's fault. I mean, they, they understand this and they would love to do that, but you can't pay the bills collecting insurance and, and, thinking you're going to address all of these things. Yeah. Um, it's just not going to happen. The system is not set up to support that. 
Um, and you know, that's why I'm in a model right now. I, I made a choice. I stepped away from surgery, stepped away from the insurance model and said, you know, I want to practice on my own terms. And that's why we created a beer on. And you were, you were a, a highly regarded, highly successful surgeon. Right. I what? did, a, I mean, I did over 3000 laparoscopic bariatric surgeries and, uh, I used to travel the country teaching people how to do it. I started doing it back in uh, 1999, and uh, so I, yeah, I was very successful with it. So now, in your world, where you're really, you're really looking to create superhuman, we're the enhanced human. You know, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to say superhuman quite yet. <laughs> uh, we're almost there. Uh, it's coming, but you know, the enhanced human. If you look at life on this planet every species has and and this is the red queen theory you know you you can't survive by not moving forward uh every species has to adapt in order to thrive and survive if you stop running the red queen you know when they were running that race they'd run faster and faster just to stay in one place that's the way life is if our species doesn't understand that we have to move forward in progressing our our kind of state, then we are going to become extinct. Now, what does that next rendition of human 2.0 look like? You know, for me, we've taken the reins of evolution now. Uh, we, we have CRISPR technology where we can edit the genome. We have research chemicals that can alter gene expressions now. So we have the ability, we have, we have transhumanism where we have the, uh, you know, we're already doing knee replacements and, uh, you know, uh, uh, contact lenses that are implantable and, and everything like that. So we're already in this transhuman state. And so what is this next version of human 2.0? And I think it is going to be emerging a technology with the, with the human state. Has your, Knowing, knowing where you are right now, has your, has your insight into elective surgery changed at all? Uh, it, it depends on what, what we're talking about with elective surgery. I mean, you know, I look back at my career and, and some of the surgical procedures I did and, you know, most of them were not necessary had we addressed what we do now yeah. early on. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're in this, um, in this phase in medicine where, you know, you look at the top 10 reasons we're going to die. Okay. The top 10 causes of death in the United States right now. And in those top 10 reasons, seven of them are almost 100% lifestyle related. And then three of them have a huge lifestyle component to them. And, and yet we're treating these as individual stovepipes of, okay, well, you've got heart disease. Okay. Well, why do you have heart disease? Did we ever look at what went into that? Well, my, you know, I have a family history of it or, you know, I smoked or, you know, these are all things that can be mitigated. It doesn't matter if you have a strong family history of heart disease. There's all kinds of things you can do to really take you down to a negative risk factor in this. Yeah. So addressing this early on through lifestyle factors is really important. I mean, I have people, people will come to me with MS and I tell them I don't use diagnosis codes. I'm just like, okay, I don't care. You don't have diabetes. You don't have MS. You have, and I try to just redefine it. I say you have insulin resistance that's related to your lifestyle. So let's see what we can do to reverse that insulin resistance. Uh, as soon as they give up that, oh, I'm a diabetic, 
it's much easier to get them to move forward. Uh, with I the MS, love that. I yeah. love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. I feel like mm -hmm. there's a little bit of defeatism to placing labels on yourself. But we live life that way. I mean, yeah. you know, think about, you know, you go through life, you were, you were a son, then, you know, I don't know what your relationship is, but then you have a spouse and then you have a child and, and you take on the labels of each of those. And yeah. if you look at your life, you actually become those labels. And so if we're starting to label people with these disease processes and, oh, you know, I have a family history of addiction or I have a family history of heart disease, you know, those are more labels that we we add to the mix and we become that. Yeah, those that that is that is a just such a powerful statement. One of the things that I'm curious about in your opinion is what are the what are the lifestyle choices that that are being being decided to happen for people on a mass scale that are the most detrimental for Oh geez, there's tons of them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> are there yeah. any is there is there like one is there a top 3 or is it just everything? Well, obviously nutrition is uh, you know, nutrition and and I don't know whose fault it is. You know, we can blame all these different processes, but um you know, you have to look when you look at the obesity crisis by itself, you say, well, is it because we're selecting genes? Have we had gene mutations? Have we have environmental things? Well, the answer is yes to everything. You know, is it socioeconomic? Yes, it's socioeconomic. Is it GMO? Yes, it's GMO. Is it, um, you know, is it the school policy? Yes, it's school policy. Um, everything plays into that. You know, this is the systems-based approach. We can't fix this by saying, oh, well, let's just get rid of all the junk food. You know, that's not going to fix the problem. Let's let's have them move more. Well, you know what? I had this long discussion with Daryl Edwards. He's a movement coach. And, you know, he was insistent that we're moving less as as human beings. But the data actually suggests that we're moving more. You know, exercise wasn't something people did True. before. And you look at our, our daily calorie burns and most people are actually burning more on average than we used to. So it's not it's not that. But then we have things like environmental uh, endocrine disrupting chemicals, uh, phthalates and BPCs. And, you know, we've got over 280 chemicals of unknown significance. And, you know, it's not people say, well, it's a government conspiracy and, and they're in with the corporations. Well, you know, that's bullshit, too, because it, it's really the government looks at correlation. They look at these because the studies are correlation and not causation. So they can't declare something based on correlation. It's hard to do. Yeah. I mean, you've got to have really, really strong evidence in that. Now, epigenetics is showing us that, you know, we're absolutely seeing causation in in some of these phthalates and BPAs, but this research is fairly new and coming on strong right now. But, you know, we're, we're sterilizing the, uh, demasculinizing the males through these environmental chemicals right now. And, and it's pretty, pretty strong in the research and I'm seeing it. You know, we, we do run hormone levels and I've run hormone levels on early twenties, people, even some teenagers that were hypogonadal based wow. on their, uh, their hormone expressions. I'm just going, you know, why is this happening? Where, where's this coming from? And, you know, the answer I think lies heavily with the, uh, with the chemical exposures that we're seeing. That is impressive and terrifying at the same time. Yeah. Um, the, this, I, I've heard you describe as as kind of fanatical about uh, about epigenetic expression. 
would you would you agree with that descriptor? <laughs> well, that's the first time I've heard that I've been a fanatic about this, but uh, yeah, probably I am. Uh, you know, I got into genetics back in 2007, um, and the genetics that is that I learned in medical school and is still even taught in medical school is not the genetics that we're seeing in the research right now. Uh, you know, the, you had immune system genetics and that what we're looking at here is polymorphisms. These are not mutations. These are polymorphisms and they're genetic variants that occur over time based on things that are beneficial in the environment that you're in. But what's happened is we've moved all over the world. So my ancestry, your ancestry may be completely divergent. So, now we're living in a similar environment and what's working and what's not working. Yeah. Um, that's the genetics piece of it. And I was all in on genetics. You know, oh, you've got an MTHFR issue. You've got a COMT issue. You know, you've got this, that, APOE. And I was all into trying to correct those when I would see them. And I realized that, well, most of these people don't need those corrected necessarily. So why is that? What's going on here? Um started reading about epigenetics and I, I did become very fanatical about it, almost to the point of obsession with it, uh, reading absolutely everything I could possibly read on epigenetics. Uh, I actually teach clinical epigenetics uh, at a course at Stanford right now. I'm a, a guest lecturer there. Um, but the epigenetics is our actual control over those expressions of those genes. It's, uh, it's like I was saying, yeah, you may have a predisposition to heart disease, but you know what? There's things you can do that will actually take that to a normal risk and actually reduce that risk to a negative through lifestyle interventions. And, um, you know, we we look at even like nutrition. We look at the nutrigenetics. So eating for our genes, you know, what genes, what does it predict is your best dietary pattern? And that's great. But you've also got to consider nutrigenomics. So how can we eat to actually alter the expression of our gene. Uh, so people are still focused on the nutrigenetics of diet, but the nutrigenomics is really where it's at. And that's a, that's an interesting distinction because it's it's letting it's it's the choice between letting our biology dictate our decision making and creating decision making that helps us dictate our biology. Those are really Absolutely. different. Yeah. Um, is there a, is there is there one lifestyle choice that you could recommend on a general scale that you would say everyone could do a better job of? Sleep. <laughs> yes. Sleep. Sleep by far is, you know, of all of my clients, uh, probably the highest percentage uh, do not sleep well. Um, either they are mismatched on circadian propensities or they, the biggest issue is they, they just don't get enough. And, and the impact of sleep epigenetically, when you learn what that is, <laughs> I mean, it is some scary shit. Um, the, the circadian clock is the master clock and every organ system in our body is entrained to that clock. So we've got clocks in the pancreas, we've got clocks in the muscle, we've got clocks in the liver that tells us, you know, when to release glycogen and everything like that. And you disrupt that master clock. It is a, a mess. You know, that's why we, we know shift work is a, is a carcinogen. Yeah. You know, the, the, the performance. And here's the thing. We, we mask our ability to understand the impact of sleep. So there was a big study done by the Air Force and they were looking at, um, vigilance levels of, uh, I think it was air traffic controllers or pilots that they were using, but they, um, they sleep deprived them. And they had them do vigilance 
visual and tests. And what they found is that with with just two hours of uh, under sleeping, so sleeping five and a half to six hours, they had the vigilance level of somebody that had two beers. Wow. <laughs> if they lost four hours of sleep, so that they only slept four, three to four hours in a night, they were legally intoxicated by vigilance levels. <laughs> and here was the kicker though. When asked what they thought their performance was, they thought, well, maybe it was slightly reduced only. Yeah. And so what it does is it tells us that, you know, the brain, it doesn't ad- adapt to less sleep. What it does is it changes our acceptance of what is normal in function with that less sleep. Got it. So we're accepting lower levels of performance as normal. The baseline comes down. Right. That that is that is terrifying <laughs> on a on a yeah. mass scale because I I do I have to agree society as a whole is chronically sleep deprived. Yeah. And we're. Is there is there any is there any uh, like do you, do you work with with temperature light temperature shifting are you are you into any of of the blue blocking or do you, do you work with the lights to correct circadian rhythm? We we do a reset protocol. Yeah. Uh, when we've got sleep, we've got we get them to to commit. I mean, you know, it's not cheap to work with me. So uh, I, I have a buy in from the get go, and that's kind of unfair. Uh, you know, other practitioners are like, how do you get these people to do it? They're paying a lot of money to see me. Yeah. Uh, so they've got skin in the game when yeah. it comes to it. So they're like, okay, I'll do whatever you say. Um, so what we do is we do a sleep reset. So I, I get them to commit to 30 days and we have a, a fixed bedtime. Okay. So they tell me, I say, you know, what time do you wake up without an alarm clock? And so I track back to eight hours and I say, okay, this is, this is head on the pillow time lights out. Um, Blacked out room, cooled down room. Um, you know, if they have to get up at night, they need to have a red red night light in the bathroom that comes on rather than yeah. um, regular light. Uh, no electronics within an hour of bed. If they're going to watch TV prior to that, then, you know, after dinner, it's blue blockers or if they're on their iPad, you know, F-Lux, even though yep. it doesn't take out as much as I would like. Um, so they have a routine. A lot of times I will also get them to do like, um, like muse right before bed to kind of set the alpha, alpha patterns a little bit. Um, but then they also don't get to use an alarm. Uh, so the alarm goes out the door. Yeah. Uh, so they, I say, when you wake up, you wake up and you get up and that's it. And it works. It works really well. Um, we, we are really impressed with, the response people have when they follow that for 30 days. Yeah. I, I also, I, I mean, I, I appreciate that you called out the, the, how the investment in yourself, because <laughs> your, your cost is an investment for someone that they're making with for their health. It changes, it changes the equation. So when we have an investment, uh, a financial investment, a time investment, whatever it is, it, it changes the way we react to the, the information we receive. And I think that's, it's part of the, the human flaw. There's a there's a little bit of a, an interesting thing that we won't do things that we get for for free. But paying for things oftentimes helps us commit to things, and it's amazing. Well, the healthcare system is the worst at that because mm-hmm. we're paying health insurance, but we don't realize what we're paying for a visit. Yeah. You know, if we were paying cash out of pocket every time that we went for a visit, we would have more of a buy-in, more of an ownership of that visit. You know, it, it drives me crazy. I, I, if if one of my clients is going to a primary care doctor, 
I always give them a, a cheat sheet. So yeah. I say, okay, this is what you want to get. And, you know, I have people, well, my, do- my primary care doctor ordered this CT scan on my abdomen. Um, I was like, well, why did they order that? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, you know, I've been having this, 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 uh, upset stomach. And I said, well, what did they tell you they were ordering it for? Okay. Well, they didn't know. They called the, they called the radiology lab and they said, oh, he ordered it for abdominal pain. And she goes, I'm not having any abdominal pain. Right now. <laughs> and I said, well, what are they looking for? And she said, I don't know. I didn't ask. Yeah. And so I say, you got to everything that they order for you. You want to know why you're getting it, what they're looking for, what happens if they find it, what happens if they don't find it? Is it going to change the treatment plan in any way or is it going to keep the treatment plan the same way? So why are we even doing yeah. it in the first place? You know, people don't realize going for a CAT scan of the abdomen. I mean, it's like six years of environmental radiation exposure. You know, <laughs> kids that have CT scans of the head prior to age 12 have like six times the average risk of brain tumors as adults. Wow. Um, so we look at a lot of these things as benign, like even a colonoscopy, you know, going for a colonoscopy. And I did hundreds of these. Um, People think of them as pretty benign procedures, but there's a lot of risk associated with that. I mean, you're, you're undergoing sedation. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of trauma created from the tube going up in your rectum and up through the large intestine. Um, you know, there's, there's just people don't take sovereignty over these things. Um, and you know, I'm all about creating the sovereign human. You know, we, we, we take full ownership out everything that we do. You are. You are making my day, man. I mean, we speak <laughs> about this stuff all the time. Is uh, for us, we're we're more working with physical trauma, right? So somebody somebody has some type of of ligament or muscle pain. They go see a doctor. The doctor sends them to get an X ray, and we're like, that was literally just to make you go away because yeah. there is nothing they can possibly find by X raying you. Please <laughs> make this not happen. So I I'm, okay. This is called asymmetric risk, though, and this is where the problem lies in medicine right now. Okay. Asymmetric risk means that this the doctor has knowledge of something that you don't, okay? Now, it's like, okay, let's say you go to the emergency room and you're having chest pain. You know, you're a young guy. You go in with chest pain. What are they going to do? They're doing a full workup on you. For sure. Okay. So, yeah, and then they're going to schedule you for a cardiac catheterization at some point for sure. Because here's the asymmetric risk. They send you home knowing it is highly unlikely that he has anything cardiac going on. Then, you know, we send him home and he by chance would have like an arrhythmia or a heart attack and die. Yeah. We're going to get sued. Got it. Okay. Now let's look at it the other way. If I order the angiogram, I've covered myself over the risk. Now, I do know that there's a significant risk associated with that angiogram, the yeah. procedure itself. Not only that, but again, another eight years worth of environmental radiation. But their risk is mitigated at that point, right? even though they know that it's not going to matter. But our system is set up to balance that. I mean, in Sharia law, they would be, they'd be strung up and, and hanged yeah. Because of violating this, this risk, everybody has to have equal skin in the game yeah. in this, in this. But same with statin drugs. You know, most docs understand that statin drugs aren't safe in the long term. But if you're coming in with high cholesterol, 
I can tell you, oh, go on this, go on this, uh, you know, low carb diet. We're going to add a lot of fish oil. We're going to have you drink a lot of olive oil, you know, all this to really mitigate this, this high cholesterol. But, you know, you go home, you lose track of everything. And, you know, for the next year until your next appointment, you're running around with high cholesterol and you have a heart attack. Obligation falls on him. Why didn't you give him a statin drug? (laughs) Oh, uh, because he didn't need it and because it has risks. Well, no, you didn't follow procedure. So, you know, here's the lawsuit. Uh, but if I put you on a statin drug, I've covered my butt. Yeah. And you go out and I know it's going to be years before anything negative happens to you on yeah. that statin drug, but you'll forget about me by then. And I've yeah. done my job. And even if something negative does happen, I'm free of liability. Yeah. So even though this is not the, overt thinking process of these physicians. It really is the thinking process that's going on. Makes sense. It makes perfect sense. It explains, quite honestly, it explains so much. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So the the other thing that I really want to touch base on with you quickly is you're the medical director at the Neurohacker Collective. Right. What... What does that mean for you? I mean, you're a busy guy, obviously. <laughs> well, and, and that was interesting because when they asked me, I was like, oh, geez, I don't need anything else to do right now. I'm, I'm busy enough as it is, but it was an opportunity I couldn't pass up because, you know, I've been, I've been using cognitive enhancers in my practice for, for years and 50 50, you know, half the people do well with it. Half the people have no effect or have negative effects with, with most of the cognitive enhancers out there. And with Qualia, I was seeing 90 to 95% positive outcomes. And I was just like, okay, I got to get on a call with these people. So, so I contacted them and they put me in touch with, with Daniel Schmockenberger. Um, cause I said, I want to get on with the formulator of this. And he's telling me because, you know, I'm looking at this formulation. I'd actually looked at developing a cognitive, um, uh, product and I'm looking at their formulation. I'm like, they've got, not only do they have, all this stuff that I would have put in there, but they have it the right dosages. I was like, okay, how did you come up with this? And the thing was, they actually took a systems-based approach with cognitive function, which I had never seen before. I was just like, oh, I do this in my medical practice. This is the way I treat people. So yeah. why, why would I not think of this? You know, so if we're going to upregulate metabolism in the brain, you know, we've got to look at things like, okay, how do we make sure there's enough blood supply coming to the brain? You know, how do we make it sure there's enough uh, precursor product that's delivered to the brain to keep that, you know, if we turn on the nitrous, you got to have the gasoline pumping in. Yeah. Um, and then what about all these byproducts? Okay, well, you know, we're, if we jack up metabolism, I mean, the brain's 20% of our metabolism at baseline, we jack it up, there's going to be a whole lot more toxic byproducts being yeah. produced from metabolism. So we've got to be able to clear those. Mm. And so they just took this whole process. And it, you know, it's funny because um, I sat down with Daniel and we were developing a sleep formula with Dan Party. And uh, we spent two seven-hour days of just sitting, crunching. We'd already put together all the products we wanted to look at. And two seven-hour days in this room, uh, the three Dans, it was me, Dan Party, <laughs> and Daniel Schmachtenberger. Uh, of nonstop just crunching this data and looking at pathways and looking at interactions and uh, the research. And I mean, it was just so much fun to do. And, and it was, it was really um, the way it should be done. Yeah. And, and the, the results really demonstrate that this process is the way it should be done. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think the fact that you call out the dosing requirements. I mean, there there are things that when there's just two different approaches to to supplementation, right? There's a there's a there's a group of supplement producers that are putting the right things in, but the 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 quantities of the things they're putting in just you can see they're just trying to get the check marks on the label. Yeah. Uh, so, so having companies that are really digging in and making sure that what they're giving you is bioavailable and, and biofunctional is, it's just so important. Yeah. It's great. And, and you know, with supplementation, I mean, people randomly do supplements. I mean, it amazes me how random supplementation is. I mean, the first thing I do with a new client is I go through their supplementation list and I ask them specifically, okay, what is this one for? (laughs) <laughs> and what are you doing to measure whether it's working or not? Yeah. If they can't answer both of those questions, I mark it off. It's gone. Okay. No, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. So I go through it and it also amazes me the number of people that are getting toxic levels of like selenium or, uh, or copper or iron. These, yeah, they're, they're on so many different supplements that they never paid attention to how much they're getting awesome. in each. And that's something you have to be careful of with Qualia is Qualia has a lot of stuff in it at levels that are pretty close to the daily needs. So I have to take a lot of people off of other supplementation in order to, to bring that down. Um, you know, vitamin D can actually get too high, uh, because of what you're getting with it. So paying attention. And that's something I'd recommend everybody do is actually look at all of the ingredients of their products and tally up. Uh, we're building a database right now that, that will actually, you'll be able to enter your stuff in it and it'll, it'll calculate it out for you. But, uh, it just amazes me the number of people who take stuff. Oh, I read about this. So I, I decided to start taking it. And that is just not the way to do it. <laughs> that is definitely true. Yeah. I think it kind of goes to, um, kind of goes to this. The freewheeling capacity of, of supplements right now, the, there's, there can be some scary things that happen in the supplement industry. And you really want to know and trust your supplier because it, it's, it's the wild west, more or less, still in the supplement. Well, I mean, there's no, there's no controls over it. Fortunately, things like Reddit, uh, are around because yeah. they, they will out people. Yeah, I mean, for they, sure. They, <laughs> and, it, and you know, you get, you get these company shells that get on there and they, uh, they're like, oh, this is a great product. And, and, and somebody will call them out on it. I mean, Quickly. it's just, uh, yeah. I mean, I love that forum. I mean, it, it, for the biohackers out there, it's perfect. And, you know, now we're starting to see all these people using, uh, SARMs and other research chemicals and, you know, the peptides. Man, I can't tell you how many of my clients are coming to me on peptides that, you know, I've got to have knowledge of these, these different peptides, uh, that they're using. Um, and, you know, they're impressive. There's some really impressive ones yeah. out there that are, uh, you know, they're not going to be approved by, by the FDA because they're, they're about enhancing the human condition rather than uh, treating disease. So, uh, so that was my next question. You, you yeah. mentioned research chemicals early. I, yeah. I had to ask a peptide question for you. Is there anything that you see forward thinking that really excites you in, in that world? They all do. I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of them out there and none of them are approved for human consumption, by the way. Yeah. And, you know, as a medical doctor, you know, the only thing I can provide is education on yeah. that. Uh, I can't recommend them at all. Um, but, you know, you look at things like like a pitalon. 
really an amazing uh, one, and the Russian studies on it are pretty darn, darn strong. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, people discount the Russians, but, man, they, they do good research. Uh, They're pretty forward-looking in, in yeah. uh, human biology. I mean, you've got things like uh, a lot of athletes using the BPC-157 or the TB-500, which uh, really are huge for recovery. And BP-157 for uh, recovering gut health. I mean, it's amazing what I've seen with it, uh, with the people that have tried it, that asked me to monitor them on it. Um, You know, other things like... uh, like melanotan too is very interesting. Uh, you get a tan in like a week on that stuff. Um, and then you've got, um, or some of the other ones that I see a lot of that come by, uh, the thymusin. That was one I was going to ask yeah. about. Yeah. That's a, the TB 500 is, a, is one of the forms of, uh, thymusin. There's a diff- little difference between thymusin and thymolin. Um, so not real familiar with the, the, little aspects of that but you can also get things like you know tessamorelin is available now through uh through research peptides and you know that's a prescription drug but you can get it as a as a peptide and that you, that increases growth hormone levels by 182 points on average mm. um one of the most effective growth hormone releasing peptides on the market you've got things like cjc 1295 with dac which you know is a twice a week booster of growth hormone levels um then you've got the SARMs, you know, a lot of people doing Osterane, a lot of people doing uh, LGD-4033, since there was a recent study on that one, the Ligandrol, uh, on human safety trials. And that's the thing. These, these have huge amounts of research on them, yeah. um, you know, and very positive human outcomes on them, but they're not designed to treat disease, so they're not going to be out there for people to use. Yeah. Uh, you know, the New Yorker did a big study on uh, GW501516, which is carterine. Where, I mean, you know, from a genetic standpoint, we look at that and we say, okay, well, you know, this stuff actually activates the PPAR receptors, which we see a lot of genetic variants of PPAR GC1A, PPAR gamma, that they're not producing much of it. But you give them some of this and all of a sudden their VO2 max goes up, their their muscles burn fat like it's one out of style. I mean, you look at the New Yorker uh, article on it and everybody wants to do it. Yeah, it's there are some really interesting things, and um, it is it is a little it's a little sad that we'll we won't get the a lot of the human trials that that would be that could be really insightful for uh, for people. So um, I'm I know I know I'm really short on time with you, so I'm going to ask you two last questions. Okay. <laughs> In your life so far, what's the closest thing to real magic you've ever experienced? Wow. Uh... <laughs> Hiking the Inca Trail in Peru. Okay. Um, we did ayahuasca uh, the day before we did the three-day hike, and it was a complete removal of electronics and everything else. Um, so we did the three-day hike and came into the sun gate of Machu Picchu on 11 <laughs> uh, Or no, I'm sorry, 12-12-12. We got married on 11-11-11. But 12, 12, 12, we walked through the sun gate of Machu Picchu, and uh, that was a huge experience. And then two years later, we took our two oldest boys uh, for their high school graduation uh, presents. We took them on the on the same journey, uh, and it was just it was spectacular. Yeah, that that sounds like real magic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, last question for you, Doctor Stickler. And again, thank you so much. 
Do you have any questions for me? And the answer can be no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, what what do you think is the number one uh, intervention that people can do for their health right now? I think sleep is probably the perfect answer. I, I also, and food has to be in there. I think sleep, food, stress. I don't know that you could separate those three, but I think people are probably taking the least conscientious approach to both sleep and stress equally. And I want to add to that because we do we do an extensive stress assessment uh, with our clients, and it's probably the most impactful thing for them to see. Um, but the thing that amazes me is people don't know how to breathe, and we can fix their stress by teaching them how to breathe. Uh, you know, the the healthy breath rate is five to nine times a minute, and you know, it's funny because every time we give the talk on this, uh, we see people out there counting their breath, uh, <laughs> trying to figure out what their rate is. But in our clients, I mean, we typically see 14 to 22 as the resting respiratory rate. Yeah. And you can't get heart rate variability with that. Uh, we see hypocapnia where they just have no CO2. They're not retaining CO2 well. And it induces anxiety and inability to think straight because their blood flow to the brain is restricted. Um, I mean, and those are things that, you know, even long-term meditators that have done it for years and years and years, yeah. uh, we, we monitor their, their breathing and they've got stress breath. It's amazing. It is. It's really interesting. And the breath is such a, such an interesting part of a human existence because it's, both autonomous and and we can fully take over the control and we can have a hundred percent a hundred percent control over the expression. Yes. So it's this it's this weird thing that we take for granted the control, but we also own the capacity to control at any time that we choose. Yeah. The breath is just a really interesting thing, Doctor Stickler. Man, this has been so much fun for me. I appreciate this so much. Yeah, Thank you fun. for coming on Becoming Legendary. Absolutely. Have an awesome rest of your Thursday, man. You too. Thank you.